0: Welcome to another exciting episode of the Into the Impossible podcast featuring yours truly, Dr. Brian Keating, and my friend and two-time guest, Dr. Hakeem Olushe'i. Hakeem was on last time to talk about his book, Quantum Leaps, a journey from the streets to the stars, involving his evolution as a scientist, but also as a human being from, essentially a kid on the streets dealing drugs to Stanford University's PhD program and working on solar physics and obtaining multiple patents in technology in the semiconductor industry. But today he's on for a different reason. He's talking about his work to really restore a somewhat tarnished legacy of James Webb, the namesake of the James Webb Space Telescope. You may not know this and all the buildup to the James Webb's launch and unfurling and first images that are coming up and so exciting. And stay tuned to the Into the Impossible podcast on YouTube, Dr. Brian Keating channel, because we are doing some breaking news as it comes out from the Webb Telescope. But James Webb himself was a controversial figure. There's some that say that he was deeply involved in the so-called Lavender Scare that attempted to ostracize and punish uh, people from the LGBTQI plus community back in the 50s and 60s. And Hakeem demanded an explanation as a um, member of a minority group himself, as an African-American physicist, very prominent one, in fact, the current president of the National Society of Black Physicists. Hakeem saw it as his duty to see if this reputation uh, deserved to be uh, burnished instead of tarnished. And today's episode describes the kind of very fascinating and courageous uh undertaking that he sought out to really reveal whether or not uh, Webb himself had this bigoted past. And what he found surprised him, and will surprise you. Hakeem's faced a ton of backlash for this, so I, I encourage you to Shout out to him. If you listen to this episode, find him on Twitter, Hakim Shei I have links to it in the show notes. Uh, he deserves your support. He's a courageous individual. He's a brilliant individual. He's not just a uh, a spokesperson for science. You see him on TV all the time, but he's also a top-rated scientist educator thinker and leader now as the president of the National Society of Black Physicists. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. And if you do reach out to me, let me know some takeaways you got. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Brian Keating. And as I said, we're going to have new images, new data, exciting new releases coming from the web. Space Telescope. The Event Horizon Telescope has a big announcement next week. Stay tuned. I have some insights into that as well. Hope to have Shep Dolman back on the podcast as well, the director of the EHT. Uh, So for now, now sit back, relax, and enjoy this journey into the impossible with Dr. Hakeem Olushe'i and answering the question, whether or not the James Webb Telescope should be renamed.
1: Let's go. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.
0: In the news lately, the James Webb Space Telescope. So talk about that. What did you investigate? Why was it worth you know, your considerable, valuable yeah. time. And what was the ultimate outcome of that?
1: Right, right. So I, I, you know, if there's anything, you know, I don't use the word hate a lot, but there's yeah. one thing I hate, it's injustice. Okay. Yeah. So I saw this article in the summer of 2015 with the title, should NASA name observatories after bigots in Forbes.com? And I was like in shock. I was like, oh no, what? You know, and so I immediately did a little Google search to see what I could find. And the only thing I could find Was an article that had been written five months earlier by David Savage in the Seattle newspaper where a a reader had a reader of his column had said, hey, I looked at, at, at this James Webb Wikipedia page and it looks like this dude was horrible and they're naming a telescope after him. Right. And so I'm like, oh, man, it looks like it might be true. But still, I don't really see any real data. So let me go into this Facebook group we have called Equity and Inclusion in Astronomy and see what they think. And I go in there and sure enough, it looks like everybody accepts that this is the case. Right. And there was a call in there. People were saying someone should confront NASA. Someone should confront NASA. Hmm. So guess what I did in 2016? (laughs) I took it straight to them. Right. Not the top. You don't always want to go to the top because if you go to the top... You know where else you go? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got to go under the, right? the top right. to figure out what the situation is. Yeah, and Planning then the determine top. whether or not you go to the top. All right. So I I, I, I approach an executive, um, and I approached the head of the telescope, and neither had heard of these allegations, and they said, "Look, give us everything you got." And I gave them everything I had, and they said, "All we see is accusations. We don't see any real data here. Would you mind?" Um, looking into what happened. So I'm like, sure, I took it very seriously. So I I connected with the librarians and archivists at NASA headquarters who connected me with people, historians, NASA historians, and people at Johnson Space Center. And this one guy who was doing a PhD in history on James Webb uh, at the University of Alabama in Huntsville and working at NASA Marshall Space Flight Center. And none of them had heard of this stuff. OK, so we're like, wow. But then they start telling me about his behavior at NASA in the 60s. And they it just like, you know, it looks like a completely different guy. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So, you know, there were very specific allegations, yeah. very specific. <laughs> he said this thing in Congress. He made this statement. He led this effort. He initiated this effort. So I work with these historians and archivists and librarians and we figured out, no, he didn't. It's a case of mistaken identity. Everything that you say it happened, happened. So there is a book called, this book right here, Toward Stonewall, mm-hmm. right, on my shelf. Yeah. So this book is Toward Stonewall, Homosexuality and Society in the Modern Western World. So in it, and in the Wikipedia page, the author says that, oh, the Undersecretary of State said this thing in Congress in uh, January 1950, January, February. And so Webb's title was, under Secretary of State. But it turns out there were other people with a very similar title. Under Secretary of Management, Under Secretary of Administration, right? Things like that, right? So it wasn't Webb who said it was a guy named Purifoy. Okay. And so then I said, okay. Clearly he was not, he didn't do exactly what he's being accused of. But what did happen, really, at the State Department, and uh, what did he do, if anything, in this particular effort and what did he do generally? Right. And I got the answers to all those questions and I put it in the article. Okay. So the people who actually did this, right. So this thing called the lavender scare is real. Mm-hmm. All right. So here is how it unfolds. Uh, but anyway, here, here's what happens. You know, the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. So, you know, me and my small team, we, uncover it oh this is great it didn't happen so here's how i think of it you know how there's people wanting to pull down confederate statues yeah so imagine <clears throat> there's these rumors of this person they're horrible they you know murdered slaves enslaved people and did this and the other did that and the other you know and every african-american in the community who walks by it's like i hate that thing right then some white dude in the community <laughs> comes along and goes you know what i researched that guy turns out he didn't do that, <laughs> but not only that, he's do, he's done things that look like the opposite of that. Wow! So I published this work, and some of the small cobble of colleagues immediately are like, "Oh, but here's what Hakeem doesn't understand." Are you familiar with the Mott and Bailey logical fallacy?
0: I probably committed it, but no, I don't. What is that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so here's what it is. It has to do with uh, medieval. Uh, war, so you have this um courtyard, you know, your walls, right? And so if a large army comes, chances are they'll make it through the wall and into the courtyard, which is indefensible. So they would retreat to the mott, I think, which was like a tower on a hill, and these things can be impregnable, right? So the Mott and Bailey logical fallacy is you go out on something that doesn't make sense. Right. It's been proven false. And so you fall back to something that feels like it's easier to defend, but still treat it like it's the first thing. Right. So um, they're like, oh, he was in charge because, you know, he was the undersecretary of state. Number two at the State Department. He was running the State Department. Right. And, And if this happened in your organization, you are responsible. However, There is a lot of scholarship on this, and it's completely false. And here's a book about James Webb, and in here, his entire career is described. Okay, and so that is completely not true that statement. So anyway, what happens is I publish this article, and these uh, astronomers go on what can only be called a disinformation campaign.
0: This is after the 2021 article, or yeah,
1: I I wrote my article January 2021. Yeah, the next day, I'll have a link to that. Yeah, yeah, they go on to Twitter. You know, they start you know, saying, Oh, you know, it's a case of he's complicit right now. The word complicit didn't show up before my article. It was like, he led these things. Right. He led these directly things he did.
0: attributable. Yeah.
1: Yep. Right. So now you've done your Martin Bailey switch. Yeah. Okay. The, the important thing here is that they held now a set of new specific, um, allegations and they are based on the whole that I left in my article. All right. And I will tell you what that hole is. There is a place in there where I said the only thing that ties Webb to uh, these events is a memo from Carlisle Humasign. I don't know what was the reason that he gave him this memo. It appears to be to bring him up to date on the situation of what they've been doing. But that's not what's important for this article right now. What's important is in that article, he gives the history of how this whole thing unfolded. And so with these other sources that I've used to show how it all unfolded, it tells a cohesive story. Now, the very next day, a fifth person outside of their group, and you can see this on, there was an article written uh, the next day by one of the authors of of the uh, Scientific American piece with the title, The Straits Are Here to Save Us. So I have two things to say about that title. Number one, I've never publicly disclosed my sexuality right thank you for assigning me one yeah they're they're gendering you you. i've seen you with your partners they were women and i'm I'm gonna say you call yourself queer and i've hung out been with there with you and your husband like you know it it doesn't show i could be as you don't know what i am right but you assign me that
0: you're assuming right you're assuming
1: right and then the second thing is damn straight i'm here to save you because i noticed a long time ago Mm. a trend White people that were my friends would come to me, oh, Hakeem, if you heard what I hear? Dude, you would, right? And I noticed, hey, when I hear somebody saying some homophobia, Mm -hmm. it's usually in a room of heterosexuals. When I hear somebody being misogynistic, it's usually in a room of men. And -hmm. so there was an event that occurred where a male professor at my university said something about our one female professor, and I didn't say anything. I just Mm. remained silent. And I knew that it was just... Mm-hmm. You're unjust and whatever, right? And it bothered me so badly that I vowed to myself that would never happen again. I'm not going to be a safe space, right? Yeah. If you want to bring your isms into my, I'm going to let you know, right? Now, not here. We're not rolling like that, right? Your your way of thinking is not the way we're doing things, right? So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am here to save you. But anyway, the thing that they found that I did not find in the book. Which is considered the sort of like uh, you know authoritative source by David K. Johnson called the Lavender Scare. He has a passage in there, and it's necessary to read it. So here are the actual memos from the Webb Truman meeting that occurred in night on June twenty second, nineteen fifty. What happened is David K. Johnson, so he says, Undersecretary State James Webb met to discuss how the Hoey Committee and the White House might, quote unquote, work together on the homosexual investigation. Truman told the undersecretary, quote, he was sure we could find a proper basis for cooperation, unquote, and agreed that Webb and two White House aides should meet with Hoey to establish a modus operandi. Mm. That's (laughs) how he wrote it. Now, let me tell you what you get out of that. Number one, they met for the purpose of discussing the HOE Committee. Number two, this statement, uh, work together on a homosexual investigation, establish a modus operandi, sounds like an open-ended, help us to design how we're going to do this. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it? and things they hold up this meeting like he had a meeting with Truman. We see that he had a meeting yeah, with guilt Truman. By association, right? It's guilt by association. Well, what it is is they're trying to say, you know, if, it's like there's a, there's a sound effect. You know, he had a meeting with Satan, not Satan. It's not Truman. That's it's not guilt by association. It, it is that it's a hot, super high. It's the highest level, mm. right? So mm-hmm. he must have been involved. But here's the thing. Truman and Webb met regularly since 1946. Webb ran an agency called the Bureau of Budget. And he worked, you know, you you ever heard of this phrase, economic indicators that they use to, uh, Webb invented that. Oh, wow. He was, yeah, at the Bureau of Budget. And he and Truman were so close that Truman told the Secretary of State, Dean Acheson, when he got reelected, we're putting Webb in as the second guy at the Department of State. You don't choose him, I'm choosing him. And Webb is like, what? I don't have any foreign policy experience. He's like, that's not what you're there for. Webb was what you would call like a bureaucrat nerd. Right. He's like in our foreign relations, we need some organization and yada, yada. And this is quoted in Power and Apollo. So Webb's job was about foreign relations and policy in a tough time. Right. Now, here's the other thing. Now, let's look at the actual what actually happened at that meeting. They didn't meet to discuss the Hoey committee or anything like that. They had their regular meeting. So the first topic they discussed was uh, Charles Spofford. And then (laughs) then they discuss, uh, what else did they discuss? General Richard Marshall. And they discussed the state of the Vogler case. And then what happens? Webb informs Truman, by the way, Senator Hoey, asked me to talk with him, to bring a message to you and have a meeting with him. So here's what it actually says. I informed the president that Senator Hoey had wished me to find out how the committee and the executive branch could work together on the homosexual investigation. You see, Hoey asked Webb, hey, can you see if the executive branch can work on the homosexual investigation? Very different from Truman and Webb conspired, and, right? quote unquote, right. right? Right. And he, the president, advised me to say to the senator that he was sure we could find a proper basis for cooperation, but we're not, we still haven't talked about what we're talking about cooperating on, right? And, his, and this is where it gets to it. He, again, President Truman, approved a suggestion that Mr. Murphy... White House Counsel, Mr. Springarn, the White House liaison to the Senate Hoey Committee, and I see Senator Hoey on Saturday not to discuss in modus operandi to discuss the necessary problems involving this cooperation interesting, very different, yeah, what are those problems? It's in every document, even uh, David K. Johnson talks about in the lavender scare. It's in the um sign memo. At every turn, the Senate was trying to get personnel files of the people who had been investigated for being a homosexual. Mm-hmm. All right And so the executive branch was resisting turning that over because it could be used as a political bludgeon. All right. Right. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you how things actually unfolded, because the true complicitness is with American society. So what happens is John Purifoy gives a Senate testimony in um, January of 1950, and they're pressing him, the senators, on people that have been kicked out of the Senate. Excuse me, kicked out of the Department of State. Now, this is after. They had a, uh, 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 the, uh, is it, is it, I forget the guy's name, Blake or something like that. There's some person who was turning over documents to the Soviets hmm. that was hmm. in the State Department of State. So it was sort of like, oh, we got spies. And there was a couple other spy affairs. Right, right, so right, the context right. of the moment was really crazy. So they are you know, it resulted in Truman's 1947 loyalty order. But he like, why would you, why did you kick these people out? Purify, resist, resist, resist. And then he says they kicked them out for quote unquote being homosexuals. Right. What happens next? Public outcry from the conservative parts of the nation. What? This is what's in the State Department? So politicians did what politicians do. There was already a um, Republican senator, Wary, who, had, who who was already pushing this going back. That's in the humil Sign memo. But now he does a new investigation to see if they should have a committee. And that's talked about in the Lavender Scare this congressional investigation committee, like the, the, the most recent example of something like this is the Benghazi Trump uh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. committees, right? Something mm-hmm. like that. It's a Senate investigation state department, right? So they get their investigation and the guy who's leading the investigation is a guy named plant is a guy, you know, is, is Senator Hoey. So David K. Johnson records that, that quote, someone is saying that Hoy d- nearly fell out of his window. It's a sordid affair. I don't want any part of it. Um, and so, what ends up happening is he. I, I want to get the exact same language because basically, what happens is is that Hoy doesn't even run the Hoy Committee. Here's what it says. This is from the the uh, Lavender Scare. As with many congressional investigations, the driving force behind this Hoy Committee's investigation of homosexuals was its chief counsel, Francis Flanagan. Hoey's discomfort and ignorance regarding the subject only increased Flanagan's responsibility. To the invest that the investigation was handled behind closed doors further enhanced his power, um, eliminating anyway. Here's a Flanagan quote: "I handled that investigation." Flanagan boasted when later questioned about the homosexuals in government inquiry. Flanagan managed the research effort, chose the witnesses who would testify before the committee and wrote the final report. (laughs) Right. Flanagan would later remark if the hearings had been public, I'd have I'd have made a worldwide reputation as a great investigator of homosexuals. So the whole point here is. They try to place this meeting. So what happens is after. um, So. Webb meets with Truman. Webb informs Truman, Hoy asked me to show up. The way they write it is, the two White House folks go with Webb. Webb's the main guy going. They're coming with him. That's not how it read. It says he approved a suggestion that Mr. Murphy, Mr. Springer, and I attend this meeting. So they do. And there are these documents that come out of it that say what they talked about. What did they talk about? And by the way, David K. Johnson, this last year because of this disinformation campaign, has been quoted many times in the New York Times and other places yeah. saying, "Webb was not a leader of this in any way." And there's even a um, an interview you can get from 2004 online from uh, uh, University of Chicago Press where he goes, you know, completely through. Webb had an, absolutely nothing to do with this. Now let's get back to this notion that he was in charge, he was in the the, the line of command, you know, in the chain of command, and he did nothing. All right, so let me tell you something. Every year I would get an annual evaluation when I was a professor. And I told you that we had one woman in our department. And when I was in Florida, I saw workplace misogyny like I had never, blatant, like I had never seen before in my life. Yeah. All right. So every time I had an evaluation or if I was in a meeting, you you know, I frequently had conversations with the department head and the dean. They asked me, what can I do better? I would say, listen, you are the leader. The leader determines the culture and leads the meeting. It's up to you to stop this. And they always, you know, right? But I spoke out about this every chance. Is there any record of me speaking out against it? Hmm. There's no record of that. No. No one would ever know. Right. And here's the thing you can't do. You can't say, you know, I, I got seven black friends, right. To to, to show this you're not a racist. You can't <laughs> say. Nobody, the word. I, 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 I. Yeah. But there yeah. is proof against, uh, you know, it, it, so, so anyway, the point is, is that here's a quote from, uh, power and Apollo. Here's what it says It's titled losing influence at state. So basically the idea that I'm, putting here is that number one james webb was not in charge of state department dean atchison was and as number two you have only as much power as number one gives you seeds yeah yeah and if you only have one job to do you know that's the job you're doing so here's what it says um because anyway while he participated of webb in foreign policy discussions represented the department at ceremonial and social functions, and made certain decisions when Atchison was out of town, he was for the most part a supporting player, Webb. After his prominence and influence as budget director, Webb found the undersecretary's job constraining. As, quote unquote, number two, he had only the pieces of the action Atchison left him. And so it goes on to how he was into science and technology, and that's what he went into. But there's more, right? So um, there, we talked about Atchison style. Uh, oh, but you know what? There's another statement in here. Webb had spent much time mending congressional fences. Adept with legislatures, le- legislators, he was the primary force at state. And getting funds for vari- various programs the department supported. Even he, however, could do little to affect the gathering storm in Congress over loyalty security issues in the State Department. Webb was powerless in the State Department. He was po- he resigned his position because he was powerless, right? So what? Um uh ends up happening is here's another statement about the relationship between webb and atchison all right so uh webb was uh looked at as being some sort of philosopher king because he was all into policy and bureaucracy and stuff (laughs) and so here's the, the quote no philosopher king would challenge atchison's judgments Webb's interests for organizational pur- purposes meshed with Atchison's for maintaining his own role as the dominant policymaker within the department. Hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, so they give like no context at all. And anyway, let's get back to the holy subcommittee. So what comes out of the Holy subcommittee? So the one document that's known to history is a document that sign gave to Webb. And sign is definitely one of the bad actors in this. So, as is Purifoy, as is Flanagan, as is Wary, as is the Democratic Senator Hill from Alabama, who joined with Senator Wary from Republican from Nebraska to make it a bipartisan congressional effort backed by the American public, the conservative American public, right? So what happens? We're at a time where the Korean War starts, the same week, right? <laughs> After they, they right? And that's Webb's only job is foreign policy, uh, and he gets consumed by that. But he asked to attend this meeting, so he attends this meeting, and the the readout is there. It says they talked about whether or not the the hearings will be closed or open, you know, public or private. They talk about you know what to call for witnesses in terms of doctors to talk about homosexuality. But the key thing was y'all ain't getting no personnel <laughs> files from the State <laughs> Department. Wow! All right, so a uh, memo is put out. And that memo has four elements that guides the State Department's interaction with the Hawaii Subcommittee, the Congressional Subcommittee. What are those four elements? Element number one. Dean Ashton and James Webb would not be involved in this whatsoever. <laughs> they will only be informed of major events and even then only when necessary. Mm-hmm. Item two, to the extent. Uh, oh, and by the way, sign will handle everything. He will be the single point of contact, the single spokesperson, because he was the guy actually running it. He's the guy who wrote the homophobic memo that gave the history of the effort. Right? It's true. Where was a courier and brought that memo over, but you know he he had nothing to to. You know he was doing a political job that had nothing to do with the actual effort. Right. So the second thing is, the second element is to the extent that uh human sign needs advisement we're creating this five uh person committee and here's who those people are item number three we will share some statistics with you item number four you will get no personnel files and that's it web's gone Mm -hmm. so think about this think about this you're doing this job a guy has is running a committee a senate committee to do something that he doesn't want to do and he asks you do can you come talk to me about this there's been this schism between the executive branch. There's this problem about dealing with um, you know, these personnel files. Let's work this out together. He attends that one meeting, and 70 years later, people say, You initiated it, you ran it, you were a homophobe. You know, it, it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. And
0: it just keeps it keeps perpetuating, and they just cite each other. I'm I'm reading an article yeah. uh, from Nature magazine uh, yeah, last yeah. year, late I know last that year. Article. Yeah and it was uh the, oh well the critics say this and critics say this that he was uh, influential and he could have he could have uh, uh been a part of that but I don't think it makes him the right choice this uh Rolf Danner an astronomer at the well, JPL. Listen, man.
1: What they're everything they've said is 100% false. He had a meeting with Truman, he regularly had meetings with Truman. He supported the Holy Committee? No he didn't. He attended a single meeting that Hohey requested that he attend. And then he sent a document, a memo. The agreement was, I would not be involved in this at all. Then they say, Yeah, but you were there and you didn't speak out. Really? How do you know that? Right. So my thing is this. So so this is the first time I'm speaking on this, except for this one CNN thing I did. And Mm -hmm. the reason why is I waited until NASA made their decision. Yeah. Okay. When they went out and they said all these things, but let me tell you what the worst part of this is, right? Well, let, before, let me say this. Remember I started off talking about that Confederate soldier and, yeah. you know, what if this scenario? Mm-hmm. Now I think to myself, if that was me and I had held that sort of animosity for that statue all my life, even when I got the truth and that person didn't do that, I still wouldn't be eager to unhate them,
0: right? right. Yeah, it would take some time, right?
1: Yeah. So I tried to be understanding and sympathetic, right? And so- um, I even suffered, you know, I even put it in my book, right? So I was raised with a mother and a sister and I had feminine behaviors and characteristics. So I was called a sissy all through all my childhood. And by the way, you might not know this, but if you want to wear your hair as an Afro and your hair like mine, you had to wear it braided a lot, right? Mm, so, a lot, mm-hmm. so here I am with these bright eyes, you know, these, you know, these braids, <laughs> I look like a little girl, right? I act yeah. like a little girl. So, you know, I was getting the hell beaten out of me by everybody. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, let me be you know, let me under, be understanding here. Yeah. But not only what began to unfold next was something that I did not expect. So what happened is another astronomer said, hey, man, I thought I, you and one of these people had a good working relationship because you were in the same research collaboration. I was like, yeah, I thought so, too. But it seems like they hate me now after this article. It's like, let me see if I can mediate this. Then this person sends me a screenshot. Where. One of the authors of that, those articles, one of the two leaders, says, ask Hakeem why he left Florida Tech. And so I called him. What, what, what's that about? And he made it clear to me, that person has made some very horrible allegations against you, right? And my response is, I don't care. I live my life. I'm public. Everybody knows who I am, what I do. My yeah, life you, is you the only difference I up,
0: You're you know, making drugs. <laughs> I mean, it's right. not like, I'm like not, so you know, I don't I'm a,
1: so I, I completely ignored it until August came, and I got a call from my dean, my former dean at Florida Tech. His name is Dr. Hamid Rasool, and he says anybody is free to contact him on this matter. But he told me he was having a, a conversation with another uh, of his colleagues from another university, and he says, hey, wasn't Hakeem a part of your faculty? He's like, yeah, well, we're going to invite him for this particular thing. But one of the young astronomer women spoke up and said, hey, didn't you know certain certain happen and my extra know, is a man of very, you know, very principled man of honor type guy. Right. And he's like, what? No, not Hakeem, you know? Uh, right. And so, so many members of the faculty, so, so many colleagues have told me this. And then when I got, when it was announced, uh, that I had gotten this faculty position, you know, this, um, mm-hmm. yeah, named faculty position at, at, at GMU, one of the authors had this Twitter rant, yeah. When they actually publicly use certain words, right? And then another astronomer sat down with me. I mean, let me tell you the three things they're saying, man. All of a hundred percent true, untrue. Oh, please, edit that. <laughs> All of them are hundred percent untrue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because um, you know, so here it is. You do this to the dead, and now you're doing this to the living. And so, you know, I don't. You know, I don't feel the heat. And the reason why I don't feel the heat is because. Um, you know, I'm I'm I've diversified my life. You know, I'm not just in the world of physics and astronomy anymore, right? And so, you know, you can't harm me through that world is is, is there a thing. But my colleagues, you know, are like they're outraged, you know, they're like, dude, you should, you know, do this. And, that, and I don't do anything, right? But here's the crazy thing about it. So at the end of that article I wrote in January. And my article was a TLDR. You know what that means?
0: Yeah, too long. Too long, didn't
1: read, read, right? So it was a long article. At the end of that article, I lamented on how these false allegations got so far. And I talked about the authors, the journalists who wrote the two articles, and I talked about their sources, one of which was the book Towards Stonewall. And so it turns out that one of the the source for the Forbes article is an astronomer. And... That person then went on their Twitter and said, oh, it's all an attack on me. All right, now let's look at it. I didn't mention the person's name. You got to read all the way to the end of my long article to find that I say, hey, these two authors and these two sources are wrong. The only person I named by name is the author of that book, Fort Stonewall, right? Mm-hmm. So you would have to go to read to the end of my article, then go back up to the link at the top to that article. Go read that article and then get to the end of that article to find the person's name. That is a weak hit piece, (laughs) I must say, right? If that's your intention, man, you're not going about it right, right? And so then they claim the victim and then go on an attack, whisper campaign against me with the most horrific of allegations. Mm -hmm. And so in the NSVP, the women pointed this out to me. These allegations, Hakeem, don't you realize that this is what have gotten black men killed in America historically, right? These same people that did the disinformation campaign on the web have been doing that right. in, it's in smear, silence yeah. as well.
0: Huh? Yeah. It's like a smear campaign. on uh, um, To the messenger yeah. who did the research.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right? Innocent, right? And, you know, so, but, but the thing is, is that, you know, if you read what they've written, they also attribute intention to me, right? Oh, Trying to exonerate web. No, I'm not. I'm trying to find out what happened. Um, you know, and, and things like that, right? And, and and oh, here's another one. Let me ask you, Brian. Have you ever uh been working on something and a colleague said, Hey, read the paper by Olu and then you go read it, and then you you know you end up citing it in your document? Yeah. Of course, right? Yeah. Do you ever cite the person who told you? <laughs> no, no, no. So here's what happened. Unless it's a referee, yeah, right. <laughs> right, unless it's a referee, right? What happens is, is the day after my article comes out, people start contacting me out the yin-yang. Okay. Several web scholars and people who worked at NASA with Webb in the 60s. Okay. And one of these web scholars pointed me to the archive where I saw that that memo between Sign, and Webb was because of this meeting. All right. I didn't yet have these documents from the National Archive of the meeting. Um, but, uh, um, so this person also told me, Hey, don't tell anyone that, uh, I gave you this because they tried to pressure me in the past and I could find no evidence to support that. I don't want them on my back again. So what do they do when they write their article about the, the straits? you know, are here to save that's us. Him, that's right. Yeah. They say, well, look at what Hakeem did. We tweeted." The archive location, and then he went and changed his article and didn't cite us for telling him what a primary resource is. I'm like, you should only do it from primary resource, and I didn't do it, get it from you anyway. I got it from this other person, right? Um, and so it's really crazy. And if you look, you know, it, and so, you know, it, it's so insane that they, that they, you know, create a lot of narratives that are false For what purpose is it to drive, to discover the truth and uncover the truth about the situation? Because I'm thinking, whew, you know, the Confederate statue guy actually wasn't a Confederate, yay. And not only that, we got a lot of evidence that they did great stuff, right? To me, which meant it's a tragedy to falsely accuse anyone. It's several orders of magnitude worse if they're a good person doing good things for humans, right? So that's what I was arguing. So the main argument, I think, against Webb, not against Webb, but for Webb. So the first thing about Webb is, so this I gotta give you one last thing, and this is about Webb's um, you know, what about him and bureaucracy. Because here's the thing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and six one since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Web had a hero. So they write about. um, Here's what they say. I'm trying to find it where he talks. They, they talk about uh, Webb and his nerdiness around. Um, I didn't I don't I didn't have it marked. Anyway, the point is, is that, you know, if you if you read Powering Apollo, you will see that they mention how Webb read everything he could about administration and bureaucracy and, and learn. You know, you read the Giants. Right. And so just like someone could ask me, oh, who's your favorite physicist ever? Webb had a favorite giant thinker of administration. Mm -hmm. It was a woman who in the early 20th century lived in a same sex relationship openly. Mary Parker Follett. And every chance he got, Webb was lauding Mary Parker Follett. Now, one thing about being a member of one of the, you know, lower rungs of the hierarchy ladder, you know, Mm -hmm. is... You know, you could have straight up racists that love LeBron, right? Because, you know, you fit in certain roles. But one role that a person who has an ism never gives, you know, never gives is intellectual power, right? That is not... You know, not them. He's not going to worship right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, That they have open animosity and antipathy for right.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, but here's the other thing, right? At the exact same time, you know, when Webb was in the you know, just as they were doing that in in the State Department, as that was beginning, Re- Webb was running his own agency, the Budget Bureau of Budget. Shouldn't he have been doing that there if he was doing it in state? Right? When he, have, you know, so so anyway, there's so much to it. So so I know that was just like a bleh, but. But I, I have another article. Uh, to fill all the holes and show the reality of it in its full context and it is a complete unnecessary wrong so that's it been it done
0: substantiated by an independent you know nasa research committee that that also looked into this uh, his his you know whether or not it could be problematic or whether or not he whether could something be something
1: that actually so so here's the other thing about that uh another thing that's funny about how it uh, if you look at those articles, especially the, the the first ones, they're like, hey, but he's not even a historian. Don't listen to him. Here's a real historian. Here's what they said. But then you go out as an astronomer and do this campaign, right? right. Like, <laughs> listen to me about history. I'm right. a non-historian. Don't listen to that non-historian. Um, and, but here's the thing. I didn't do it alone. I did it with a guy getting a Ph.D., I did it with NASA historians, archivists, and journalists. I mean, not journalists, librarians. And they said this to me. They are like, Hakeem, we're so glad you're involved in this. We don't want to be publicly recognized because we see this like the moon landing, right? There's nothing we can do to convince the um, conspiracy nuts that, uh, you know, it's real. Uh, and if we put our names on this, it's going to look like an inside cleaning job or whatever. So it's, it's on you. So what I did is I waited... Um, you know, more than a year to after I left NASA. So it's clear that it's me and not NASA who's mm-hmm. doing this. Uh, yeah. and, you know, I wrote the entire thing right. myself.
0: It's independently on Medium. Yeah, I'll link to that. Um, well, and, you know, it, t- it takes a tremendous amount of courage. And that's not really surprising Absolutely. to me. But ra- based I knew on, it was a
1: no-win. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, it's the right, right thing to do. So, you know.
0: And you gave the the right analogy. I mean, I'm Jewish. If I had, if there was some, you know, uh, test, you know, something that was testimony to uh, some, some, you know, Nazi or, or something. like that, I'm not comparing the two, but but still, to think about that, uh, I would have certainly a lot of misguided feelings if it turned out that I was also a member. You know, if I was in charge of of at least revealing or didn't reveal something true that was inconvenient or uncomfortable, and then later, uh, you know, condemned for doing that because the narrative that people want to believe. Um, anyway, we we talked a lot about yeah. this on the finale. But let
1: me let me say one last thing. Yeah, yeah, overwhelmingly, the response from the community has been positive. This yes. small group of people are savvy, smart, media savvy. They did what they did and drove a you know a, a large m- movement. But uh, within physics and astronomy, people were like, "Great job!"
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, and, that, and that's true. And of course, the telescope was not renamed. It was, it was discussed, and uh, and you know, after a thorough investigation by NASA, they decided not to do it. It has now been renamed. But you know, and you'll still see these, uh, you know, kind of contentions out there. And they're always, you know, kind of uncontested necessarily, and don't have the thoroughness of research that you have. And and you know, that that that's their prerogative. That people have other things they want to do with their life. I wonder if the family of James Webb has been in touch with you or anybody. Absolutely, else. we're close yeah. now. In oh, fact. That's great.
1: They, uh, there was going to be an event when, uh, the first date, December 15th, well, not the first date, but you know, yeah. the, <laughs> right. December 15th. And so they wrote to me and they were like, yeah, man, you know, NASA gave us a couple of tickets to a, attend this event at Goddard. And we asked them for a third ticket for you to come with us. Um, we're, we're family now in a, in a way. Right. But so um, many people reached out to me, not just the web family. They're like, why would you do this? dude? Like, you, know, who, mm-hmm. you know, who are you? I'm like, look, to be honest with you, I got Nothing in it. I could care less about web. What I care about is the fact that people are looking at, you know, I I imagine what it would be like if, uh, you know, David Duke. And every day I got to hear that the David Duke observatory, you know, that would drive me crazy. Right. So I knew that members of the community were feeling some way every time they had to hear this name, you know, and so I was going to do one thing or the other, Like to be honest with you, you know, I, I know that I don't know until I know but mm-hmm. if I had a bias going in, it was assumption that it was real. It was true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. And I was going to be like, I've shown you what he did. Now get him out of here. <laughs> you right.
0: know? Seems plausible. Right. But yeah. What exactly. happened,
1: what I discovered was the opposite of that. And, and what, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to be like, okay, this is great. Right. Because now we no longer have this one way or the other. We're getting rid of the problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. not, you know, and so it, 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 what, what I mean to me, man, Really, you know, someone said this on on Twitter. Uh, uh, it, it's it's really like professional misconduct in a way to incite the community mm-hmm. around a lie, and then to you know do a whisper smear campaign against and really affect people. Yeah, and, you know, and and. Yeah, it's... it's. No,
0: I always, you know, I always say when <clears throat> there's internecine fighting, you know, between, uh, say, with Jews fighting against Jews, yeah. I would say, like, we have enough problems with the rest of the world, like, hating on us. Why why, why do we have to hate on each other?
1: Right. Like, and nobody cares, we- really, right? Like, one of the things that I, I saw, for example, you know, there was two black scholars, um, Michael Eric Dyson and... Mm-hmm. Um, What's the dude's name? Cornel West. Right? Cornel West. Yeah. And they had these, wrote these long essays attacking each other. And I'm like, dude, nobody cares. Y'all care. But, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to write a long essay and put it out to the public so everybody can be a part oh, of this. Nobody it may cares. be tweeted. Yes, I may tweet it. No, oh, no. Yeah, man. nobody cares. Right. Nobody cares. So I'm not, you know, I'm just continuing on my path doing what I do. Right. Well, I also look at
0: these people, you know, in the black community, in the, in the homosexual community, lesbian, gay, bisexual, however you want to call it. And I, and I find, you know, I do a lot of interviews. It happens to be, I have a lot of African. I think I've had more African-American scientists on this yeah. podcast than any podcast I'm aware of. I'm just, and I'm not like proud of it. I'm not saying, it. oh, pat me on the back. I'm such a good white ally. I, I think that's demeaning. Actually. I think, you know, the day you need me as an ally, you know, like you're doing just fine, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, no, I, I, mean, I do need you as an ally. Right. I, I'm like, you know, but, but I'm not supporting yeah. you because I'm not your ally. Cause you're black. I'm your ally because you're, you're an impressive individual. You're yeah, a human yeah. being who's accomplished a tremendous amount, right, who has right. merit, who has, uh, yeah. who has courage, and those are the yeah. rarest qualities, Hakeem. And I do feel like, you know, it, it's, it's funny because I was like walking around with my son on a walk. We take a walk with one of my kids. And I was like, I'm talking to a guy today and his name's Hakeem. What do you think that means? And he's like, hmm, let me think about that. Does it mean smart? And I said, hmm, let me think about wow. that. Why, why would it mean smart? And he goes, because in Hebrew, the mm. word hachem Mm. Means, means wise man and wow. i was like that is great he didn't say oh he's muslim or, yeah. or he's arab no he just wow. said he's a wise man i thought yeah, that was so yeah. oh, cool and that's what i want to be associated with so yeah, what yeah. i i use i call it keating's razor you know of, about occam's razor so i'll put out these you know i'll have interviews with people that are controversial I'll have people on the right on the left and then i'll have the interviews with and i'll get condemnation when i have someone on the right on but then i'll yeah, have an course. interview with a lesbian you know, a bisexual, gay, transgender, queer, you know, black woman say, yeah. uh, you know, that's happened multiple times yeah. and, and there'll be no love. There'll be no like, Oh, thank you for being Whatever. And I'm just like, how come you give me so much crap? You know, when if I have on somebody you don't like, and you associate guilt by association, when I have on somebody who is in a community that you're treasuring, that you're wanting to support, you show me no love. I mean, I don't. So now I I don't let that go to my head anymore. I don't let the criticism go to
1: my man. Planers, man. I mean, you know the thing. You know, people. There's a variety. You know, I we I I rode a plane in 1999 when I was in Silicon Valley to to um, Heathrow from San Francisco. Yeah, I was sitting next to an accountant from for for johnson and johnson and this man found accounting fascinating and he talked to me about it Mm -hmm. and found astronomy astrophysics what i was doing not interesting at all yeah boring (laughs) that's how i found accounting discussion right and i'm like it's it's, that's such an interesting thing that humans are like that you know we have this variety and so you know i I realized that and so like for me for example you know i'm of the type of you know it's hard to find me complaining you know i'm like let's take action on this i'm not going to you know, I, I just find, you know, that, uh, you know, so, so the point is that we're in a, a um, situation now where people are empowered to speak out. They have a voice maybe for the first time. Yeah. And I think that when you get a voice, you know, well, the first thing, I think that there shouldn't be a single approach to any problem. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, you know, there's a reason why you have the good cop, bad cop, you know, and things like that. Right. Exactly. So I think that having a variety of approaches approaches is the definite thing that you should do. Uh, but if you are going to. um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know, man, it, it's just frustrating to me yeah. when, you know, I, I feel like people have the best of intentions mm-hmm. and. You know, they they want to do right, but then sometimes, you know, you find yourself doing the wrong, even though you, you really want to do right, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I just I don't yeah.
0: My rule is I don't judge people on their intentions. I judge yeah. them based on their actions. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you know you way. can have good intentions all you like, but right, but if right, you're not right. you know if you're not really kind of creating good and, li- and I'm a behaviorist. I, I believe mm. you know your actions speak louder than your words, and these words right, are cheap. Yeah. And especially in the era of yeah. social media, it's like it can get oh, amplified. Yeah. And Mar- I mean, remember Mark Twain said in 1890s, you know, the a lie can make it around the world. You know, oh um, yeah. Christ before
1: a truth even gets right. its
0: pants on. and but there's another
1: statement, which is a lie don't live long.
0: Right. Yeah. There's a parable in, in Judaism where, where a man slanders a rabbi. There's a name for it. And it's one of the greatest sins there is called Lashon Hara. Uh, he slanders a rabbi. And then he feels bad about it. But in slander, he's telling the truth. He's not lying about the rabbi. He's just he's telling a, a rumor, gossip. And then he goes to the rabbi. And he says, I feel so bad about it. How can I make amends? And the rabbi says, very simple. Go get a, a, a feather pillow. The guy's like, what the heck? All right, I'll get a feather pillow. He goes, um, uh, here's your feather pillow. What, am I done? No, uh, go ahead and cut it open. Oh, all right, I'll cut it open. So he cuts it open and the feathers start blowing away. And, and, the, and the rabbi says, okay, you're almost done. Now just go out and get all the feathers back. And the point being, it's like you can't. Like I always say to yeah. my, you know, words are like toothpaste. You know, once yeah. you use it, you can't take it back. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, for me, this this whole episode, it's depressing. It's demoralizing in yeah. a certain way. It's also hopeful because people like you do exist that can kind of blow the whistle for truth and yeah. set the record straight, even when you start off maybe not even inclined to take that tack from the very beginning. So- Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Into the Impossible podcast with my friend, Dr. Hakeem el You won't want to miss episodes that are coming up soon. We're going to have uh, some really fascinating explorations of life in the universe and consciousness. Dr. Philip Goff is coming on extremely soon. We had an interview with Richard Powers, winner of the Pulitzer Prize. We'll have on Ed Young, another Pulitzer Prize winner in the not-too-distant future. And Sabina Hassenfelder is coming back on the show for her new book, Existential Physics. So I want to uh, thank you for this journey and also to commend to you uh, the books by our guest, Hakeem. And others. And also, my new book, The Dialogue on the World News on the Chief World Systems. Actually, it's not my book. It's Galileo's 390 year old book uh, that I just happened to record. My friend Carlo Ravelli, Lucio Picciarillo, Frank Wilczek, Carlo Ravelli. I already said Carlo, but he's so good we name him twice. Uh, As well as uh, Jim Gates and Fabiola Giannati. You won't want to miss this audiobook. You can get it wherever audiobooks are sold or on my website, briankeating.com. I hope you'll come to my website, briankeating.com backslash list join my monthly magic mailing list where i send out messages every monday and news around the universe things i'm up to and i hope you'll also leave a review or rating you can do a rating on spotify and audible but you can also leave a review on itunes and i thought i'd read one to you that i received recently from someone whose name is like a mist and um and like a mist says This is intellectual inspiration. It's hard to say what it means to know, but when I listen, it makes me want to understand. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Like a mist. Another listener, Sokuhi, Sokuhi, says, never boring and never repetitive. I used to listen to a wide range of science podcasts. Over time, most became boring, repetitive, and uninteresting. Brian's Into the Impossible podcast is a glowing exception. I love his guests and his ability to elicit insights that never stop. You'll never stop learning and listening when you listen to this podcast. Thank you very much, everybody. I wish you would do the same. You can find it on iTunes. Just go on your Apple podcast app and look for my name, leave a review, uh, give it an asterism, five stars, no fewer, uh, like some members of my family do. But we'll leave that out for now. So for now, I hope that you are doing well, enjoying uh, this mid-spring season. And I can't wait to bring to you the upcoming great guest on the into the impossible podcast so for now i hope you have a magical week until next time this is yours truly brian keating signing out for the into the impossible podcast